0: I certainly thank uh, David for that uh, introduction. And uh, we, too, treasure our relationship with uh, David, Teresa, and their family. And uh, their Cindy family, not just uh, them and their children, but uh, their families on both sides. And, of course, the extended family to which we all belong, the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am so thankful to be here with you and to have this opportunity to share these ideas with you. Of course, uh, David's introduction does make it sound like I am kind of a stick in the mud. And uh, yes, that's probably true. Uh, 45 minutes sounds like long sermons. I remember when uh, we used to sit through an hour and a half sermons, but uh, certainly we will not uh, be doing that this week. Uh, I am always cognizant of what my dad used to say uh, in his limitably cynical way, Uh, that man thinks he just wasted 30 minutes this morning with this sermon, but there were 100 people there he wasted 50 hours this morning. So uh, I will try and uh, make certain that you do not leave, regardless of what you think about the lessons, thinking that it was a waste of time. And uh, I will try to give you a a full minute's worth of uh, work for each minute of your time that I take up. So I will probably go pretty fast and uh, try and cram a lot of things in in the time that is allotted to me, but I will try and be respectful of your uh, attention span and your time as well. We are, in fact, this week going to take a rather bizarre journey through the mind of the modern man. And, uh, of course, our attempt to go through and understand the thoughts of modern man is not that we should learn something valuable from them, but that we should remind ourselves of the biblical worldview. And uh, indeed, our uh, theme for this week, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses three through five, read that passage, meditate on it. Uh, that's our intent this week. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse three, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And indeed that is the aim of all Christians to take every thought captive for it is out of the heart that the issues of life emerge. It is more difficult these days to take every thought captive because we have so many intrusive forms of information coming into our minds that attempt to shape our minds in ways that are not biblical, and that is what we want to root out this morning. And uh, this morning in particular, I want us to think about the idea of humanism one of the modern isms that we'll be considering over the course of this week and in some ways the front piece to the entire series because humanism is the broader term for all of these kind of modern ways of thinking about the world and about man and about our purpose And humanism, though it has for a long time been noted by Christians as an oppositional point of view, remains, I think, the most formidable threat to the faith in America today. Despite the emphasis on diversity in our society, despite the kind of moral fragmentation that you see in America today, what we see really is the opposition between principally two points of view two worldviews that may be loosely identified as a biblical worldview and a humanistic worldview. And in some ways it is difficult for us to uh, really uh, understand the kind of opposition that we see because in fact these ideas of humanism are so deeply rooted in our society that uh, we find them to be the taken for granted values of the world around about us. They are deeply rooted, especially in education and in politics, if not so much in the ordinary day-to-day life of working men and women. But they are, for those people at least, the glasses with which they view the world. And they uh, will become the glasses that we wear if we're not understanding the problems with this point of view and like glasses when you wear them and you get used to them and then you take them off to look at them you can't even see them because you've removed the glasses that you depend upon so it is going to be to some extent very familiar things that we talk about and on the other hand it will be somehow a sense that uh, why are we even examining those things those are the values of the world in which we live As someone once said, as we see this opposition between humanistic point of view and biblical point of view, there is only one throne in the heart of man, and there are only two contenders for that throne. That is God and the man himself. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul describes in considerable detail the disaster that occurs when people dethrone God in their lives and enthrone themselves. In Romans chapter 1 in verse 25 he kind of summarizes that when he says for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than God who is blessed forever. And of course You know, that's exactly the way in which we see the Israelites going wrong on so many occasions in the sacred history. And in fact, that's exactly the way which we see many people in the church today who lose their faith, they begin to focus too much on the values of the world around about them and the value of their own self, and they dethrone God in their lives and enthrone their own desires. The world is a wonderful place that God has created for us. But how do we view it and how do we understand it? It is kind of like these two very different points of view that I think most of you are probably familiar with. There is a home, and in that home there is a dog and there is a cat. And the dog thinks to himself, hey, these people I live with, they feed me and they love me, and they provide for me, and they take care of me, they give me a warm, dry house, they pet me, and I am happy, they must be gods. And the cat who lives in the house thinks to himself, hey, these people I live with feed me and love me and provide for me, they give me a nice, warm, dry house, they pet me, they take good care of me, I must be a god. And so it is in the world in which we live today people who enjoy the same kinds of blessings that god has embedded in nature by creation the same blessings that he providentially provides for us every day as he sustains this creation they have two very different ideas about this world most of them think of themselves as being the center of the universe and as it were, tantamount to God, who can make their own decisions autonomously about what is right and wrong. Those of us who know better, as Christians, we understand that we have all of these blessings because God is the creator, and that as the creator, he provides for us, and that as the creator, he is entitled to our obedience and our worship. So we want to take every thought captive and make certain that we are, in fact, uh, Christian and that we are biblical in our worldview as opposed to adopting the point of view of the world that is humanism sums up much of that. And what exactly do we mean by humanism? I mean, first of all, that widespread pervasive view of the world that Christians have wrestled with and must continue to wrestle with every day and in every way. There is a sense in which wherever you encounter people in the world in which we live today who do not worship God and accept the Bible as the ultimate truth that they are humanist and that uh, they have adopted without even knowing the name or exploring the origins, they've adopted this kind of point of view. These are, in fact, the taken for granted values of our culture. They have been really since the Renaissance. This kind of a point of view says things like there are no absolute truths or values. And when you hear people who resist the fact that there's an absolute truth, they are humanist. When you encounter people who have an unwarranted pride in human achievements, that's humanism. That was the idea back in uh, Babylon when they built that tower and they thought they were going to surpass God, an unwarranted pride in their achievements. People have an unwarranted pride not only in their achievements as a race, but they have an unwarranted pride in their achievements individually without recognizing, without God's grace, we would not have accomplished these things. Tolerance for the most innocuous ideas and behaviors the most abhorrent form of language, these are the marks of humanism. If there is no absolute truth, then anything goes. The search for human perfectibility in some kind of self-help program, in some new form of therapy, in some new diet, in some new form of meditation. This idea that we can make ourselves perfect by our own efforts, that's humanism and particularly the emphasis on self-esteem is the answer to man's failures rather than the cause of man's failures, that's humanism too. And these ideas have permeated every corner of our culture, including into certainly the denominational churches and even, I'm afraid, into our own fellowship on occasion. It is the widespread pervasive view of our society and you'll recognize too that in some ways when you think about this many people are find these ideas appealing because they have this optimistic view at least on the surface about mankind there's this optimistic view that somehow we're going to be able to fix all of our problems That somehow we'll be able to eradicate poverty, despite the fact that Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. That somehow we'll be able to perfect the twisted and tortured nature of our own souls, our own ingenuity and with our own techniques, despite the fact that God says our only hope is not in transformation by therapy, but is redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's this sense in which that's appealing kind of an idea. But the idea is based in the sense that we are ourselves worthwhile, independent of the fact that we are created by God in God's image. And that the real value of our life is in glorifying God, not in glorifying ourselves. And thus, despite its optimism, it becomes destructive not only destructive to the faith of many in God, it ultimately becomes destructive to uh, those who believe in humanism itself because they will find at some point, sooner or later, that there is no perfecting their nature apart from redemption in Jesus Christ. And at that point, they are going to find themselves lost and hopeless and with no real uh, way to turn. Except, of course, if we can find them at that moment in their life and preach to them the gospel. This humanism is a worldview. It is a way in which they see the entirety of the world and how everything fits into it. Uh, I am so used, of course, to the term world view that uh, I uh, don't recognize sometimes how strange that may seem to others who are not always involved uh, as I am in academic kinds of uh, of settings. But worldview just simply means what is the structure by which you understand the individual events that you see in the world around about you. And we all have one, whether we identify it or not. We all have this basic kind of structure about the way the world makes sense to us. And this uh, humanistic worldview is very different than the worldview of Christians. It's a part of establishing the basic kind of uh, meaning of life, the fundamental questions, why am I here and what is my purpose? It is what makes life meaningful. And in fact, as a worldview, humanism becomes kind of intolerant of all other worldviews. As a religion, which it really is, because it asks and tries to provide answers for these fundamental questions. As a religion, it is a fundamentalistic religion. They are, of course, opposed to any religions they think of as fundamentalism. Fundamentalistic Islam is a great uh, terror in the world today. And they label those of us who are, literalist in believing the scriptures as fundamentalist and somehow that's supposed to identify us as untrustworthy. But the truth of the matter is humanism, despite the fact that sometimes they call it secular humanism, is a fundamentalistic religion that is hostile to every other kind of religion. And they certainly are hostile to Christianity Spend a little more time thinking about who the humanists are, what it means to be a humanist. And we may identify them with uh, these kind of terms. Theologically, they are atheists. Mostly the humanists who give some kind of, uh, of explanation for their point of view are going to identify themselves fundamentally as opposed to the idea of a personal creator in the world. And in fact, you can read in their writings over and over again this kind of point of view. Kurtz, who wrote the Humanist Manifesto 35 years ago, writes that humanism cannot in any fair sense of the word apply to one who still believes in God as the source and the creator of the universe. And you understand the implied assumptions of that. Anyone who still believes in God as the creator of the universe. Their presumption is that was an old idea and we've now moved beyond that, except of course for a few primitive backward people who still cling to that belief. Humanism, as he writes in the, uh, in the, uh, Communist, uh, in the uh, Humanist Manifesto, is a progressive life stance that without supernaturalism affirms our ability and our responsibility to lead meaningful ethical lives capable of adding to the greater good of humanity. And one of his fellow humanists, David Niosi, says, I am post-theological. Once again, the assumption old-time people, primitive people who didn't understand science, who didn't understand much about the world, maybe had an excuse for being uh christians and believing in a god but in these days there is no excuse for that i myself have moved to being post theological they are atheist fundamentally and they are methodologically uh, rationalist at least that's what they claim for themselves they have substituted faith in god and have have replaced that with faith in man's ability to understand and control the world, that is, faith in science. Uh, Bork, who uh, writes in opposition to this kind of humanistic point of view, says the idea that man can define his humanity and shape his human nature by reason and will alone, that's what humanists are. And the idea is that somehow we have become autonomous, we have somehow become capable enough that we can change not only the world around about us, not only uh, raise the forest and uh, conquer the rivers, not only uh, you exploit the power in the atom, we can in fact change our own nature and perfect our own nature if we just believe the science. And of course you'll recognize that in that idea of believing in the science, they have found that science is a replacement for religion. I don't know how you understand the word religion or science either. I think we understand what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means that we believe that God is in control of the world and that we are his creatures and owe him obedience. But they have substituted for that kind of a worldview, that kind of understanding of who we are, they've substituted for that, this idea that we can control the world, and that we can control ourselves, and therefore, in some ways, science becomes a replacement for religion. It gives us the ultimate answers to the big questions that we ask and they think there are no limits to human wisdom. Which of course, you know, anyone with any kind of, uh, of uh, powers to observe history recognizes that's just not the case. Uh, what do they make most of these dystopian science fiction movies out of except the fact that science gets out of control. Ever since uh, Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, we have had good reason to recognize that science is not the final answer. Sometimes it is the final nail in the coffin of mankind. And yet the humanists are ever optimistic that somehow we'll not make those mistakes this time. Of course, we're not surprised to realize there are limits to what we can understand because Bible long ago told us that it's not in man to uh, plan his own steps that we have limitations on what we can understand and even more severe limitations on what we can accomplish in the world today. The uh, humanists, philosophically are materialists since they are atheist. They also believe that this world is all there is, that there is no God, that there is no eternal soul, that there is no heaven or hell and therefore there is no judgment And consequently, they live their lives without a recognition of that ultimate obligation that we have to our creator. Carl Sagan in uh, Cosmos long ago said, the universe is all that there is or ever was or ever will be. Like the cosmonaut from Russia who first ascended uh, into space, at least what they thought was space in those days, And he said, there is no God up here. There's this sense that somehow because we can't see it, we can't measure it, it doesn't exist. That all there is in the world is the material stuff around about us. And they want to leave out all that stuff that's supernatural, all the things about a spiritual world, all the characteristics of man that really make him worthwhile. G.K. Chesterton well said of them that when you leave out the supernatural, all you have left is the unnatural. They think they can leave out the supernatural and find what is just natural. But when they leave out the supernatural, when they leave out God, when they leave out the eternal spirit of man, what they have left is a caricature of a human being. A caricature, a cardboard cutout actually of the world in which we live. And yet that's the presuppositions on which they operate. Well, it is that uh, the psalmist long ago thought about these kinds of people, and he says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You know, some of you will think, and uh, will continue thinking, rightly so, as we move through the series, that I am uh, too harsh, that I am uh, too, uh, maybe, uh, extravagant in description of the shortcomings of these kind of modernisms, but that is nothing compared to uh, what the Psalmist says. He doesn't even try and argue or debate the ideas about the existence of God. He merely says the one who says there is no God is just a fool. There's no, there's no other way to talk about it, and there's no way to address them, because they have taken and ripped out of the fabric of life, they've ripped out of human beings, they've ripped out of the world anything that makes sense of the world in which we live. And there is a consequence of those things. Biologically, the uh, humanists are going to be evolutionists of course. There is a fundamental fact that you have to deal with. There's life in the world. There are human beings in the world. And how did they get here? And if we have left out the supernatural, if we left out God who is the creator, then we got to find some natural explanation. And so, of course, the only obvious way to get at that is it uh, came from something else that previously was already here, that in fact there was some kind of process of evolution or change. And we look at that previous step and that had to come from somewhere and the previous step has to come from somewhere. And of course they trace it all the way back as far as they can. Somewhere, some point in time, some primordial mud, somewhere there was a particular set of chemicals and some uh, lightning bolt that just did exactly the right thing and suddenly there was life where there was not life before. And of course uh, they don't want to talk about those aspects of evolution because It just does not make sense. Even the intervening steps don't make a lot of sense. But maybe, you know, in a general way, you say, yeah, there was this kind of life and maybe we could think about how it transformed into this kind of life, uh, assuming there was enough time, assuming there were enough mutations. But they can't get past the fact there was not life and then there was life. Because that's fundamentally different than the material things of the world. And they have no explanation for where that comes from. They call it the hard problem of consciousness. We are aware of the world. And where did that awareness come from, that ability to think? It came from some kind of mud and chemicals and, and electrical processes. Yeah, but it is such a different kind of thing. There is just no explanation for it. And those who, in their own fields of neurophysiology, try and explain consciousness, ultimately they come down to this point of saying, well, that's just the hard problem of consciousness. We don't really know where it came from. And of course, I'm sorry, they don't know where it came from. We do, God created it, because he created man in his own image. There are uh, these kind of ideas about the uh, humanist. As a consequence of this, they get to make up their own rules. They are relativist. Uh, One of their own, Holcott wrote, that human beings may and do make up their own rules. That morality is not discovered, it is made. That in fact, we are the ones who create what's right and wrong. And of course you recognize the problem with that. When we say we create what's right and wrong, does that mean you and I get to vote on it? In which case the majority, or maybe the most persuasive who can encourage the largest number to vote for it, make it up? Or do you get to make up your own rules and I get to make up my own rules? Obviously what we get then is the consequence that morally the humanists are anarchists. And that's the world in which we live today, this kind of bickering back and forth, this hostility that exists in the world between those who disagree about what the rules ought to be, about what ethics and morality are, some of them, of course, are like uh, kindly disposed, but we get to pick and choose these rules based on supposedly some higher order of, uh, of uh, virtue, like on the basis of love, or on the basis of kindness, or the basis of practicality, utilitarianism. But ultimately, there's never gonna be any agreement about what the rules of life are going to be. We live in a modern chaos, of verities and arguments about the results. There is this truth about the humanist, even as Kurt said. It is the philosophical, ethical point of view that's opposed to any kind of repression by social institutions. The state, the church, or other dominating institutions. We are opposed to any limits on what an individual chooses to do. That's the nature of humanism, and that's the kind of ethical, moral anarchy in which we find ourselves today. If a person thinks that it is authentic to them, if they genuinely feel it's important to them, then it must be okay to them, because there's no outside standard by which to measure this sort of thing. And in fact, uh, C.S. Lewis dealt with this kind of an idea uh, as he did with so many other ideas. And the abolition of man, which is a really interesting title, standing kind of as a, a preface to what's happened in the world since the 1950s, the abolition of man, the talk about, uh, he, he writes about men without chess, they have no heart, there's no soul, we've ripped it out of them. And what's left is, as Chesterton said, not the natural, but the unnatural. But in the abolition of man, he wrote, when all that says it is good has been debunked and what says I want remains, then that cannot be exploded or seen through because it never had any other pretensions. And consequently, what we have in the world today are people that just shout at one another with no way of ever coming to any kind of agreement about what's right or what's wrong or what's the best kind of action or the best kind of life to live. They are, in fact, opposed to Christianity. That's the fundamental thing that identifies humanists in the world. All the other items that we've talked about, their uh, uh, theology, their methodology, their philosophy, their ethics, all of it ultimately comes down to an opposition to the God of the Bible. And uh, Kurtz, of course, points that out, too, again, in the Humanist Manifesto. Basically, humanists are disturbed by any authoritarian effort to impose one point of view on America, or or any group of people. I mean, it's exactly what uh, they say over and over. Fundamentally, anybody who tries to impose their point of view on someone else is wrong. That there are no, ways in which we can have any general rules of morality that apply to everybody. Because each individual gets to decide for themselves. They are primarily, the humanists, gonna be opposed into Christianity. Because it's clear in the scriptures, there's a right and there's a wrong. There's a God and his character determines what is moral and what is not. And there is no way to escape that fact. And each one of us, probably individually, there are some points at which we feel that we are being restricted by the morals of the, uh, of the Bible. But we understand, as Christians, that we are under God's authority and that we need to take into a- obedience for Christ's sake, every single thought that we have. But the uh, humanists are not willing to concede that's the case. Uh, The uh, Humanist Manifesto long ago wrote, we affirm that moral virtues derive their source from human experience. Ethics is autonomous, situational, needing no theological, ideological sanction. In the ears of area of sexuality, we believe ignorant, uh, intolerant attitudes often cultivated by orthodox, religious, and puritanical culture, unduly repressed sexual conduct, the right to birth control, abortion, and divorce should be recognized. And uh, with that list written 35 years ago already uh, coming to fruition and many others beside that in the world which we live, you understand how powerful this force is in the world today. And, of course, it's not a new idea that we should throw off the shackles of God's control. It's just kind of clothed in new sort of terminology secular humanism, rationality, science. But Peter, long ago, recognized the same kinds of problems among the New Testament churches about those who denied the Lord and denied the Lord's authority and wanted to go their own way, who were covetous, who wanted to exploit the Christians with their deceptive words, and who were constantly busy and living a life devoted to their own pleasures, despite the fact that they were working within and under the auspices of some kind of uh, religious sort of terminology. The humanists are exactly these same people today, except they don't even pretend to be religious, they pretend to be rational, they pretend to be kind, and they pretend to be tolerant. But the truth of the matter is, you get the same kind of moral anarchy in the world, today that you saw in the first century. Opposition to Jesus Christ and to the morality that he brought into the world as as the embodiment and the incarnation of God and God's character is just intolerable to people who want to live their own lives. And so we may finally define humanism in this way, a uh, religiously anti-religious worldview based on the assumptions of atheism, materialism, evolution, ethical relativism, and it is primarily distinguished by its opposition to Christianity and its focus on man's perfectibility in the here and the now. And you'll recognize, I think, that these are the taken for granted values of our society. These are not ideas that are just uh, isolated behind the uh, ivy covered walls of universities, those that's where they abide to. These are the ideas that you see on the talk shows, the callers on the talk shows who so self-righteously say of opposition to homosexual marriage, that's discrimination or who say of those who have some kind of claim that there is a universal standard of morality in Jesus Christ, well, that's just your opinion and my opinion as good as yours and one opinion is as good as another. Are those who are opposed to abortion and divorce, well, you're just a prude. That's the reason that you say those kind of things. This is the world in which we live, and it is as if, is it not? There are two cultures in one. There is... Still, and though it is a waning number, I am afraid, in the United States, a number of Christians who still believe in the God of the scriptures and his authority to define our lives for us, there is still that group who understand what is right and what is wrong. Though there are some difficult cases in the modern world and there are some difficult passages, that's where we go to find the answer to the disagreements that we may have. And opposing that, the widespread majority of the world, of Americans, have absorbed these humanistic kind of ideas in which they feel like there is this kind of of a right that they have to determine for themselves their own meaning and their own values. These taken-for-granted values Create what many people have observed. Some of them more accurately recognizing it than others. But Hunter calls it a culture war. Bloom speaks of an ongoing conflict in the world today. Bork calls humanism an adversarial culture. It used to be that we talked about Christianity as a countercultural point of view in the world. But uh, you know that's uh, that's uh, you know even uh, two. Bigger term in these days for Christianity. It's not a countercultural We are the ones who are being oppressed. We're the ones who are being repressed in the world today because the increasing power of these ideas in people's lives. Uh, Rookmacher speaks of a chasm as if there were two separate sets of reality that people operate by. He writes there is this deep dichotomy in our culture a duality as deep as if there were two sets of reality. It all began when man wanted to be autonomous, when he wanted to be free of the shackles of God's control, when he lit the torch of his own reason and resolved to start only from his own senses with the enlightenment of the age of reason. We create this kind of opposition to God's control in our lives. And of course, you know, there are any number of people who uh, in the world today are still going to be confused by these two points of view. There are a large number who understand exactly what the opposition is about, but let's hope that at least we who are Christians are of the book and we understand what we believe And that we can recognize, whether we spend our time, as as I may be giving you more information than you want this morning, whether we spend our time analyzing the oppositional point of view, at least we understand that the world in which we live is opposed to Christianity. And that we need to take advantage of the chaos and the anarchy around about us and the meaningless and the despair that results in the lives of many. They can't even figure out who they are in the world, and we need to say there is good news. And let me tell you about Jesus Christ, who has come to give you the answers to those questions you so desperately are asking, who has come to give meaning to your life, who has come to transform you, to redeem you, to make you what you ought to be and what God intended you to be when he created you, and who has prepared for you a home in which all of these problems disappear in heaven after this life is over that's a message that we need to preach each and every day and we need to believe it in our own hearts and not let them distract us from it with whatever kinds of uh, of uh, of worldview or uh, fancy kinds of arguments they make i believe in jesus christ thank you for your attention this morning we'll talk about uh, some more specifics of these kind of uh, modernisms in the lessons to come